Hey everybody, hey Pastor Foss again. Look, I just want to come to you today and talk to the husbands, the men of God, about uh, marriage. Uh, you have to understand that it's a privilege and it's an honor to be a husband. Because when you are a husband, you are a model or a reflection of who Christ is. Where did we learn that at? Ephesians 5.25 tells us that husbands love your wives as Christ has loved the church. Now it's very important uh, for several reasons that you distinguish a husband from a boyfriend or a husband from a fiance. Uh, the Bible says that he that finds a good wife obtains favor of the Lord. That's what Proverbs tells us. So we have to understand there's a special favor called the husband's favor that comes on our husbands. It doesn't come on a boyfriend. It doesn't come on a fiance. It doesn't come on a life partner. No, it comes on a husband. Why? Because when you're a husband, you take on the role of Christ in your marriage and in your relationship. And so it's very important that we understand that because a lot of people, um, especially in our the world and society has tried to come and redefine what marriage is. But we must understand that marriage, this is important. I want you to write this down. Marriage is God's idea. It's not man's idea. If it was left up to man, man would never have a commitment. Man would never um, sacrifice. Man would never be, um, most importantly, man would never um, obtain or enter into a covenant relationship. And so marriage is a covenant relationship, just again as Christ is in covenant with the church. And it's important to understand that um, a lot of times in our society, um, the enemy has used media and different mediums and different um, people and ideas that he's tried to inject into our minds uh, through these media, through these mediums and media that the husband is the worst part or the um, the most negative counterpart in the relationship. Now, I'm not saying that either party um, should uh, champion that title, right? Because we understand that neither the husband nor the wife is perfect. I understand in my relationship, I'm not perfect, right? I understand that my wife she's not perfect right and so we discuss these things and we go through them and we find common ground with the bible and the word of god as our foundation to meet at uh, what we call a place of compromise because it's important you're going to have to compromise in every relationship and so first and foremost we understand that that's what christ did christ sacrificed he compromised right he came down from heaven. He left his uh, his estate right beside on the right hand of God the Father. And he came down and he sacrificed his life for us, the church, right? He didn't have to do it, but he, he did it, number one, out of obedience, right? And so when we do things as husbands in relationships, guess what we should do them out of? Out of obedience, right? Obedience is what's going to lead us to being able to emulate and imitate Christ in our relationships. And does it always feel good? No. Is it, we could use the word fair, if you're on, on the podcast, I'm doing the air quotes. Uh, is it fair? No. But guess what? 
it's the thing that we do out of obedience, right? And obedience is made up of two components. Obedience is made up of faith and is made up of love, right? When you combine faith, when you combine love, then guess what? That's, that's when you get obedience. That's why um, Galatians tells us that faith works by love, right? What Christ did for the church, he did it, um, number one, believing in the Father, that the Father would never do anything to harm him, would never do anything to put him in a detrimental position, would never do anything to put him in a position where he's losing. No, he understood that the Father's always had his best interest at heart, right? And so he did it out of obedience, right? And so when you're a husband, you're operating in that capacity, guess what? You should operate according to scripture, according to the word, right? Um, out of obedience, knowing that the father has, that's good, um, the best plan um, and he has the best possible outcome in mind if you are um, willing to walk by faith. In other words, trust him, take him at his word and do our best along with um, the word and the help of the Holy Spirit, right? To walk in that capacity as a husband. Secondarily, and not as a, you know, not, not as like least important, but love comes into play. And I'm not talking about a worldly love. The Bible talks about various types of love, but I'm talking about an agape love. And what's important about defining this as agape love, right? Now you can love your wife in uh, a multiplicity of ways, right? Uh, you can love her in the phileo love, right? That's uh, brotherly love, right? You can become best friends, right? You can love her uh, in uh, eros love. That's an erotic love. And I, and I encourage you <laughs> that you both should reciprocate that in your relationship, right? But the most important of all is the love that you have as um, agape or, or as uh, emanating the agape love of God in your relationship. And Jesus also, he, um, he instituted and he demonstrated for us what the agape love is, right? When he's preparing to go to the cross, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's going through a terrible uh, uh, mental, physical, um, uh, uh, soulish anguish that he's anticipating because he, in his in his godness, right? Um, <clears throat> he in his godness could uh, he knew what exactly what was coming before him. Right? Because guess what? He's omniscient, right? Because he's part of Godhead. So he knew what was up ahead. He knew that he was going to the cross. And not just in enduring the physical ailments and abuse that he suffered, which was great, right? And, uh, and of astronomical proportions. No, it was a sin that he had to take on, right? Of the world, right? Now understand, Jesus didn't take on the sin of his lifetime, of those who lived in his lifetime, right? Not, not of his lifetime because Jesus was without sin. Let me clear that up. Um, but not of his his um, his age or his time period. No, Jesus took on every sin, right? From Adam, from Cain, all the way to the last sin that's going to be committed before um, the uh, before um, this world is renewed and remade. 
all the way to the end from the worst people you can think of in history. Whoever you, whoever comes to mind, when I say, what's the worst person that you can think of in history? Who's the worst person you know, right? Right? All those things. And then think about this, right? Because I don't want you to leave yourself out. What's the worst thing you did, right? Or the thing that you know you've done that nobody else knows you've done, right? But yourself, right? He took on all of that sin on the cross. And so he was anguished and he knew that he was about to take on this sin and he knew that he was about to take on this, uh, this pain and this torment. And so he began to, uh, the Bible says, he began to come under such anguish that he was sweating out blood, right? Um, that's, you can search that up if you want a research type person, but uh, uh, medical science has, has proven that that is absolutely possible. And of course, people have experienced that um, since Christ's time and before Christ's time, it has happened, it's, it's clinically proven, right? But what I wanna to get to is that it's important to understand that we must know that he walked in such a love, right? Such a, a, a love walk, such an agape love, which was unconditional. And so what it caused him to do was, it caused him to put his own feelings aside. <laughs> That's good right there, right? Cause truth be told, look, truth be told about a lot of men, right? Myself included. Look, we are very sensitive. I know that women, are painted um, as the more emotional creature, which they which they are, and that's not a good thing. God is a God of emotions. Uh, the Bible talks about that. Um, and we saw Jesus had emotions uh, in the garden. What I'm talking about now, um, but truth be told, men, we have um, an emotional side, and I'm gonna tell you this too: it's healthy for you as a man to embrace it that emotion. Yes. I'm telling you, I don't care what you were taught when you were raised. I don't care what society has tried to ingrain into your, your psyche. It's important you know, know that you must embrace your emotional side, right? And also you must provide opportunities for yourself to have an emotional release, right? That's why a lot of men have anger, resentment. A lot of men are abusive, physically, abusive verbally, right? And abuse, abusive emotionally uh, in their relationships because they have not provided themselves an opportunity to, to release, right? And so you must find out what's the release or what's going to allow you to release that stress, that emotion, right? And one of the greatest ways to do that, I'm gonna tell you right now is to cry. <laughs> I know that's going to throw a lot of people out, but guess what? Why would God give you tear ducts if he never intended on you to use them? Mm. Right? There must be a perfect purpose for, their, for them. They're called tear ducts, right? Right? So tears must come out of that, right? And so allow yourself opportunity and space to cry, right? In whatever capacity that is, there's not saying you have, um, you can't boo-hoo, you can't do the, you know, the ugly cry, you know, the church, we see the ugly cry sometimes, people happy, testifying, and they're being delivered, you know. Uh, so, it's okay to do that, right? Also, you must find other ways to relieve stress. Maybe you need, uh, maybe go to the gym and you can lift weights. That's a great stress reliever for myself. Maybe you are uh, a runner, right? A runner, you're a track star, you know. Maybe you're, maybe you're a runner, right? Maybe you like to run and you can run and get to yourself. 
Maybe you like to read, right? Maybe that's your release, right? Maybe you like to go for a drive, right? Um, or maybe you just need to take up another hobby. You know, I, I have a cousin of mine. He is, um, he's a professional, uh, uh, you know, uh, driver. He drives cars and, uh, and various events. Maybe that's something you you can take up, right? Uh, go play uh, pool, go play golf, right? Uh, go play basketball, right? Um, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, take up a new hobby, uh, take an online course, right? I don't know what that stressor and that stress reliever is, but guess what? You need to find it because not only is it going to be a benefit to your wife, it's going to be a benefit for you. And so it's important to understand that, right? And so here again in scripture, um, it says that Christ loved, that uh, the husband should love the um, their wives as Christ loved the church. It's important to know that, right? And so I want to instill and I want to speak into the lives of our husbands and our future husbands that look, you can emulate and you can imitate Christ. What does that mean, right? The Bible also tells us that look, you should be perfect as Christ, right? Now that doesn't mean we're gonna be per uh, perfection but that means that we have a, a level uh, that we can reach when we are perfect in our love walk that we're emulating, imitating Christ in such a way that it pleases the Father. And when we please the Father, guess what? The Father will go, will come in and he will begin to uh, uh, spend time with you, right? You can spend time with the Father, right? And he will begin to show you things. And when he does that, the presence of God rests on you. And I've never in my life seen anyone that can resist the presence of God. Why is that important, right? Because perhaps you have a relationship where um, you there needs to be some repair and there needs to be some rebuilding, right? There needs to be some renewal, right? When the presence of God is on your life and you're really walking in the presence of God, I'm not talking about religion or religiosity. No, I'm telling you that when you do that, then you can then begin to change the way that your marriage looks. You can change the way that your relationship looks. I feel God on that. You can change the way that your um, your life looks and you can change the way that your home looks, right? It'll affect your children, right? It'll affect your um, it'll affect your siblings, it'll affect your church, it'll affect your neighborhood, it'll affect your workplace. People would know that you are the person that is emulating and imitating Christ, right? You can do that, how? You can do that by living a life, and I'm gonna tell you this, the life you live can be the loudest words that you ever speak. Mm. Right? You don't have to beat anybody over the head. You don't have to jam it down their throat or try to tell them this is what you should be doing. This is how it should look. This is how our marriage should look. No. Marriage is, um, I often tell people this in our marriage classes, marriage is not a destination. Marriage is a journey. Right? And it's a journey that you continue to walk on um, day by day, week by week, year by year. What does that mean? There's going to be growth, maturity, and evolution that happens continually in your relationship, 
And so you're going to say, well, my marriage should look like this. You don't know what your marriage should look like. I mean, you can have a model that's good, but you're two individual grown people coming together, trying to become synonymous and one with each other and trying to live a life together. And so you're going to have to walk together. Sometimes uh, you're going to have to walk faster. Sometimes you're going to have to walk slower, right? Right, right. Sometimes you're gonna have to stop along the journey, right, and catch your breath, right. Get you some refreshments, right, or, or be refreshed, right. Be refreshed, you know, with the word, right. Be refreshed uh, by the word. Be refreshed by your your spouse, right. Uh, the Bible says that your uh, wives can speak, uh, uh, or women of God, women of virtue can speak words of grace, right. And that those words of grace can saturate and permeate in your soul and they can refresh you. Your wife can build you up like nobody else, right? But as you're doing this, as you're walking along, as you're um, seeking to be more Christ-like, right? Now we all have that call as Christians and believers, but then there's another call for husbands to be Christ-like in their marriage as to their uh, their spouse, right? And here's one thing about uh, I want to leave you with. Here's one thing about Christ, right? Christ um, never holds grudges, right, against the church. Hmm. That's good. No matter what the church did, the church will be 100% at fault. I, I know I'm part of the church, so I know a lot of times I'm 110% at fault in things that I do. <clears throat> but Christ never judges me. He never holds a grudge against me, right? And then this is another uh, good point here. He always forgives me, mm, right? Oh, uh, uh, no, that's that's gonna be a little difficult, right? Because that's what that. What, guess what this is gonna do for you, man? That's gonna prick your pride, right? That you have to forgive <clears throat> your wife if she was a hundred percent wrong, right? And I'm not talking about. Uh, I'm trying. I'm not trying to put things on a sin scale. That's that's religion. Like you know, putting things on a sin scale. Only you and your wife know what you're dealing with in your relationship. But it's imperative that you remember that Christ never holds grudges. He um, he never um, um, holds um, any actions that I've done as part of the church over my head. And number three, he always forgives. What does this do, right? What does this do, right? Does it mean you're going to fix everything overnight in a relationship? No. This allows Christ to continue to walk in love. This is one, this, I'm going to tell you this. And I'm, I'm going for it. Right? Um, you know, preacher, we had like three or four closes, right? All right, this is my last one, all right? The enemy is not only after our faith walk, right? You know, I'm a faith man. I believe in faith, city of faith. Faith lives here, right? I, 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 I'm a proponent of faith. It's very important in who I am and, and, and what I believe in. But also the enemy is after this. He's after your love walk. Hmm. Because he knows, as I said earlier, just a moment ago, that faith works by love. Right? And if he can get you out of your love walk, he's got you out of your faith walk. Why is that important? Because Hebrews tells us that without faith, mm, that's good, it's impossible to 
please God. So as much faith as you have, you believe in God and you're a mighty man of faith and you, you got faith to move mountain. Paul talks about that. He said, look, what is all of that without charity or without love? Why? Because that now moves you as good as God. That, that now moves you out of position to where you cannot please God. Mm. Right? You're, you're on your faith walk, right? But now your, your love walk has caused you to shift out of position. And so now faith works by love and you cannot please your father when you don't have love. All right. Look out. Until next time, I hope you've enjoyed this. Make sure that you connect with us uh, via social media. Make sure you connect with me on Twitter. It's D-A-V-B-F-O-S. Make sure you connect with me on Instagram. It's D-A-V-B-F-O-S. You connect with me on Facebook, David B. Foster Ministries. Connect with me there. Also, you can go to my website, davidbfoster.org. Look, I hope to see you soon. Until next time.